slide. There you go. Revival and schism of the church. We started this last time, but we didn't get very far. So, um, if you remember uh, last time, we started talking about the West and its. Uh, <laughs> you're up, son. One more slide. All right, I'll do it. Uh, yeah. Uh, we started talking about the Pope and how he started gathering strength, how the, there was a revival of the church authority, church power and, and, and in the West, and uh, how it began really between the periods of 800 and 1054, it began to experience kind of this inner renewal that gives it strength to cope with the uh, imperial presence and interference. Um, that the West the Eastern Church does not have. So we started talking about how the, uh, the Pope gathered strength in the West. And um, the first thing we talked about, it's turned on. You've got to put it back that way, son. The, the, the thing is back that way. <laughs> That's all right. All right, the first thing we talked about is the, uh, the donation of Constantine. Uh, who remembers what this was from last week? We watched a video about it. That was last week. It's been a long time since last week, hasn't it been? Uh, it's not about being old. It's about it's been a long time since last week. <laughs> a lot happened since then. Now the doc, donation of Constantine were these uh, were were one of the many documents that the church was using to um, support its uh, its its authority and claiming land, especially in Rome. The donation of Constantine. Uh, it was a, a papal document that we know is a forgery, but was used, and we don't know if the popes knew it was a forgery or not. Um, but we do know that it was that we do know it is forgery. But that that stated that Pope the the Roman Catholic Pope was the head of the church, and that they owned the property in Rome, and uh, you know through Saint Peter. Um, Remember that video we watched where he read all that long, um, that uh, material? That was uh, the donation of Constantine. And so with the donation of Constantine, we really get this, uh, this, this idea that, that the Pope uh, has this apostolic concession that it has traveled from St. Peter to, through the Church of Rome and is, is controlling this, pro, this, this area and has things. The next thing that gives them authority that helps solidify their authority is the conversion of the Scandinavian area. Um, Ashkar in 801 to 65, which you can see his name on the notes in the app, Native of Flanders, um, he um, he was the one who deserves most of the credit for the conversion of the Scandinavia area 
when the Danish king Harold asked for missionary in 826, Anashkar uh, felt that he could answer the call and uh, he devoted the rest of his life to missionary acts in Europe and Denmark was finally won to Christianity in the 11th century. Um, Christianity was permanently established in Norway about t uh, 1000 AD. Um, about the same time, the state it was made the state religion in Sweden and Iceland. Uh, Iceland. Uh, but the reason this this remember this area, the Scandinavian area, had been attacking and pillaging and controlling, and they were now they are the Christians. And so by taking away that the Pope and they pledged allegiance to the Pope. And his, so it helps solidify his reign as the authority over, um, over the area as, as, as a papal supremacy and uh, where he is near emperor. Um, the next thing is the doctrine of mass. Um, who knows what a mass is? Yeah, Roman Catholic Mass. What is a Roman Catholic Mass? For service. That's right. This is what they call service. We have Christmas comes from Christ Mass. Um, that's that's where it comes from. It's just Christ Mass. It's Christ, Christ service. Um, in early days, the the the... Back up, let's talk uh, Christian theology for just a second. Um, when we take Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, whatever you want to call it, uh, we believe, or I teach, that it's a symbolic act where you take the bread and it symbolizes the, uh, the body. And it, the, the, the cup symbolizes the, um, the blood. In, at some point, and it doesn't, there's not like a, I hate using strict dates for a lot of these things because it's not like they flipped a switch and this became the norm. Uh, at, over a period of time in the early 9th century, an idea... Um, began to surface that the Lord's Supper was a sacrifice by the priest and the clergyman had to perform the miracle of the Lord's Supper. Because what, about 831, um, they began to teach that there was a divine miracle that happened in our communion and that the body became, the, the, the red became the body and the cup became the blood. It's a, a transubstantiation um, is the big word for that one. But it, the, 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 blood, the bread and the wine go through a physical change at some point, according to the miracle of the Mass, uh, of the Lord's Supper, according to Catholic tradition, that starts about 800, 831. Um, and it's still taught today. Um, 
And so many churches still believe this today, mostly Catholic Church, they still teach this. At some point, um, and uh, that there's this miracle happening. And so what they, with this idea that it's a miracle happening, well, then it has to be the priest that performs the miracle. And so what that does is it takes away the ability from normal people saying, oh, you, can't, you can't give Lord's Supper. Only the priest can give it. Because otherwise it's not a true miracle. It would be just... Uh, and so this, this begins, this transubstantiation began teaching. And, and so it really... Um, set forth this, this, you know, um, and there's actually a book in 831 t entitled uh, Of the Body and the Blood of the Lord, which really preaches this. Um, though it wasn't fully accepted until, tw I wrote it down, 1215. At the, uh, um, and maybe it wasn't really fully divine, defined until the Council of Trent in 1545 is when this became official, fully defined doctrine. Yeah. Yep. Is that what you're calling the miracle? No. The miracle, um, the act of, of, of communion and the Catholic Church is where they, they put it in your mouth and they, they give you the cup and, they, and the priest physically performs it. Okay. The miracle is the point at which, according to their theology, the, blood, the, the cup physically changes into blood the bread physically changes into the body in some kind of cannibalistic miracle. Um, I obviously don't hold to that, but um, and there's been no evidence for that. They've actually done studies. Uh, my fa one of my favorite, uh, uh, I guess, ploys on this uh, comes from Vias from Vendetta, the comic book. Um, he poisons a lady, and, and and it's in her the the it's in the the blood that he the the cup for transubstantiation. She says, "Well, if it really changed to blood, you wouldn't be poisoned right now." And she dies. Uh, <laughs> and it was kind of a, a play on that. It's not a, um, but. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the idea, the miracle, but they began to teach the miracle happens. There's this miracle that happens. And so you can't, a true uh, communion isn't real unless that miracle happens. And, and so only the priest can give it. So it brings the authority under the priesthood and under the papacy as they, they are the ones who have to have this authority. So normal people can't do it. And so this is one of the things that strengthens the, the, the authority of the Pope. Obviously, the Pope or, and the priest are his men, and 
you know, so this really strengthens the authority of the church. Likewise, baptism became something that um, only the priest could do. Um, though there's nothing in the scriptures that says that only the priest, only the pa only, only pastor has to baptize. There's nothing in the scriptures that says that. And it's kind of a tradition in most churches, but it, there's nothing in the scriptures that says that. Actually, Jesus, if we believe we are all disciples of Jesus, Jesus calls his disciples to go you therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and which means that if you are a disciple of Jesus, anyone can do it. Um, but it began, but the, the idea began that only this in the, the mass, only the priest had this supernatural authority over everybody else. And it uh, really, and it is, you know, it's what it says that the 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 pope has the uh, the authority to uh, to lead, and so it really strengthens that authority. Um, the last thing that I wanted to point out um, is monastic reform. Uh, monastic. What does monastic? What is the a mon, mon, monastic? What does that word mean? Monastery. That's right. Comes from the word monastery. Yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to fit, trick you. It comes from the word monastery. It, it's it's the it's what monastic is just those who follow the way of the monastery. Um. And uh, the monasteries were people that, you know, we think of them as like the, the, the priests who go into the monastery or the nuns that live in the front. Uh, and, you know, they live off separately and, and they have this different way of life in the, the cloister. And um, in Well, monasteric reforms began being carried out by the Clunics. Uh, uh, the Clunics were Benedict monks from the monastery of Cluny, which is now Burgundy, founded by William Duke of Ar uh, Aqu Aquitaine in 909. Um, the monasteries in the... Um, these monasteries that, that, that they reformed... Um, became a central uh, um, hub of the Pope's authority, and they, they supported the papal authority. Um, by the 10th century, monasteries had become wealthy. Remember we talked about, I guess it was two weeks ago, we talked about the monasteries being corrupted and, and, and wealthy and, and, and orgies happening at them. And, I mean, and, um, you know... I'm not going through every pope, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe I should put together a list of the popes and the good ones and the bad ones. Yeah. Maybe I should do that. That'd be a lot of work. There's been a lot of popes. Popes have been an interesting thing. There's there's some, there's really good popes. Like uh, I think like where you know Nicholas the first we're about to mention he was a good pope. Uh, Leo the the ninth was considered a good pope. Um, uh, there were some really bad popes too, though. I mean, corrupt, 
orgies happening in the at church, uh, incest, uh, child uh, molestation, uh, uh, murder. One guy dug up uh, one pope dug up a an old pope and put him on trial. Found him guilty. Had him beheaded after he was dead. Um, that pope who did that was actually murdered by someone else. Um, he only lasted a year before he gets murdered. Um, there's uh, popes that had no that were not Christians at all. Um, you know, um, one you know one pope I can think of. You know, he he. Um, had I don't know how many concubines and 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 uh, and wives and one guy uh, made sure his 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 daughter who he had with a concubine was uh, he had sex with her and then he sold her off to be married and then he renewed that marriage and took her back and I mean there's some awful pulps out there uh, but there's some good ones too I mean. Uh, there's a reason I have trouble with this time period. There's a lot of bad. Um, I've told you this on many occasions. There's a lot of bad happening during this time period. Um, and it's just reality. There's a lot of bad happening in the Christian world. Um, so, yeah, by the 10th century, uh, you know, monasteries were in badly need of, of, of reforms. And... Uh, um, and the idea, uh, the uh, you know, the idea of service had been replaced by the idea of individual salvation coupled with the easy life of wealth uh, in the the monastery. You go to the monastery, you convert yourself to God, you're saved, you're good, and we'll just collect the money and and live your life however you want. But you're good because you're you're a priest, and and there's uh, all these bad things that are happening. Um, and that's not to say all monasteries were bad. I don't want you to think that. But uh, there were overwhelmingly a lot of them that needed to be reformed. And, um, uh, you know, and so um, this movement of reform um, has this, 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 uh, uh, this, this, this idea that, that the uh, support it brings up a support for like the the popes like Nicholas the first and and Leo IX that they rid that negative out of the the monasteries they pull it out and well then they put people that are godly people in power and of course they're going to support the pope because they're the ones who cleaned up cleaned up the house and so it really uh, this this monastery this this monastic reform really begins to uh, support the power of um, of them and and to uh, free them from the secular uh, control and to put them under the control of the pope. Um, there were uh, really three things that, from this time period that were that were started at this time. Uh, they were called for re- reform in the clergy life. Uh, one was. Um, the uh, the practice of uh, selling and 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 buying church office for money, um, which apparently like it just sounds like well of course that should be that's wrong you know <laughs> how could that be right? 
but it was common practice. Remember we talked about that, I think two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we talked about how that was common practice for uh, churches to uh, wealthy men to, well, my, my one son's going to inherit the, the king, my kingdom, so I'm going to put my other son in the, but I want him to be in a position of authority and power, so I'm going to pay some money, and I'll have that, and I'll buy them a thor, buy them a bishop or a archbishop or you know whatever, whatever how much money I have, and so this this practice becomes illegal at that time. Um, uh, nepotism also becomes illegal at the time, which is showing you can't hire your relatives. Um, maybe we should bring some of these things to Congress. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, no, uh, and, and the third thing, this is the one that um, really um, is, uh, you know, actually still with us today. All three of these things are still with us today, but uh, one that you might have stand out in your mind the most is this is the, this is the time period when uh, celibacy uh, becomes a, uh, a thing for the priest, like the priests have to be celibate. Uh, before that, the right to marry or not to marry was kind of your choice, but it was also according to what cloister you were part of and, it, you know, your personal beliefs and the beliefs of the people you were by. Um, but, uh, but this says that clergyman can't marry nor keep concubine. Uh, the, their whole attention should be given to affair of the church. And so this really changes the way the church operates. Um, and so it insists, and it also insists that the church should be free from the, the temporal and secure control of the emperor and the dukes, because we're going to focus only on God. And that's what the celibacy, uh, why celibacy was such a big deal is because it says, you know what, you're going to put your whole focus, you don't need to worry about your wife, you don't need to worry about a children, you don't need to worry about concubines, you can put your whole focus on God. And so you're going to, and so the, it, uh, it leads to this, this new emphasis, which, interesting enough, the when monasteries first started, they were celibate men. And then that become, and now it's c kind of coming back to a full circle. But now instead of being your choice to come and join this and be celibate, now it's, you, if you're part of this, you will be celibate. And so it's, it's more forceful and it actually becomes more of a, an issue uh, because, you know, well, once you're a priest, you can't just stop being a priest. You know, you have to stay a priest. And then, you know, there's, there's issues with that that arise in different points of church history. Um, so they become, and they, these, these men out of this, out of this movement, this, this clinic movement, the, the monastery leaders become very capable leaders and uh, very followed. And, and of course they're fighting with the Muslims at this time period. Uh, so there's there's the Holy Land. There's a war for the Holy Land, and that and that's actually going to carry on to the Crusades, which we will talk about. We will. I'm going to have a whole separate thing on the the Crusades. We'll get to that. Not not next week though, but we will be getting to the Crusades fairly soon here. Um, So, uh, so you know, although many of the popes in the era between 800 and 1054 were corrupt and incompetent, there were several leaders that helped, co you know, consolidate the strength of papacy. I've already mentioned Nicholas the First, who was pope from 858 to 865. Uh, he was a great uh, Leo the Ninth. Um, 
they were they were strong uh, leaders that uh, helped support uh, the church and um, and bring the the Western church into a place where it was strong in the pl- which it had to be if it was going to survive it had to because they had such the the rulers the emperors were such strong leaders and controllers and they were you know, remember like we talked about how a lot of the leaders were trying to control the church and the church was going to, and there's this battle between the church and the state that's going on if the church is going to survive in a strong way you need these strong leaders um, and that's one thing that we had to the, the 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 papacy being like the emperor of the church because they're competing with the emperor of and these things, as, as history, whether right or wrong, this, this is what happens when the church and the state intertwine like this. Um, and so you have this, so you need, if you're going to be in that realm, you have to have this strong, this strong, uh, uh, strong, strong place. And so now the church in the East, um, It's under the emperor's control, but it really is too far away from the Roman control of the Roman uh, Roman Catholic Church. So, um, well, let's talk about that next. Um, let's see. Let's go to my next slide. Yeah. Origin of the Greek Orthodox Church. The the, the Orthodox Greek. Just we'll just say Orthodox Church. I don't know why I put Greek on there. Um, because of habit. I was thinking of one of our church members who's Greek Orthodox, probably. Um, Orthodox Church. We can just say Orthodox Church. We don't need to say Greek Orthodox. but um, Because it's more than just the Greek. Um, the East was never able to be as independent as the West because the eyes of the emperor was there. Um, the Greco-Roman culture was there. But the Pope was not there. The West was going through this time of cultural chaos uh, because of the what we call what do we call it the Dark Ages, the time period where after the collapse of the Roman uh, Empire, uh, the Dark Ages kind of led the West into this time. Now the East doesn't feel that quite as strong. The Roman Empire was not as well established there. They weren't as dependent on the Roman Church, uh, the, the of, on Rome. So they don't, they do have those problems. But um, the there is a separation that happens in the East and the West, and we're going to have a schism that will happen in ten fifty four. We're going to have a giant schism. So let's talk about some of the reasons and causes for that separation between the East and the West. Because it's not like someone just said, got up and said, you know what? <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with you guys. Let's separate. That's not how life works. It's like saying the this, this North and South only disagreed in uh, 1861 when the Civil War started. We started, the North and the South were having problems before the nation was founded. Um... These differences um, begin and build. And so in 1054 is like the date where we officially write it down. Hey, there's a schism. There's a divide. But it's something that grows over time. Um, I mean, we, we see that in our own history, in the United States history, as we think of the North and the South, right? 
It's not like someone said, oh, well, you know what, we're done, let's flip a switch and 1861 North-South divide. There's lots of problems that started before nation, you know, just the way the North was being more, ur uh, more urban, the South was more rural, there was different ways of thought, there was different uh, philosophies on things. Uh, you know, the, the South's uh, dependency on, on slavery, the North had got, didn't need the slaves because the crops were not the same. You know, there's, so there's, there's a lot of things that happen. You know, the, the people that settle there are different. You know, you got the Spanish and the, and, and the Dutch, and you've you got more of a, you know, German, uh, Dutch up north, and you've got, you know, England, and, you know, you've got more sophisticated people up north, you got more country folk in the south. You know, there's a whole different way of, of that develops over time that leads to the Civil War. Um, and so we, we see the, so we know that there's no such thing as a, 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 a split that happens without those kind of buildups. We can think of it more personal. Think about relationships, right? How many of you guys split in a relationship? It doesn't like someone you just wake up and say, you know what, I don't like you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. There's things that build up over time. This issue and that issue, and you thought you could live with that, or you change and they don't, and uh, you know, there's lots of things that happen, you know, that uh, that you know causes. You know, they were unfaithful. You were, you know, there, you know, there's all kinds of different things that happen that causes relationships to split. Um, when Constantine moves his ca his, his his capital all the way back in 330. He leaves his capital to Constantinople in 330. He's, that really starts paving the way for a split to happen between the East and the West. Now, it's not going to happen until the year 1054 is when we, the date we put on it. So that's 700 years. It's a long, that, that's, a, that's a long span of time that we... But it, Within 330, uh, he moves that, that capital, Constantinople. He really starts in motion this, this, this thing that will, will split the church. Uh, in 395, Theodosius puts administration uh, of the east and the western areas under the, imp under, under, under the emperor, under different heads so you've got one person essentially underneath the emperor ruling the east and one person under the emperor ruling the west and so you really got this divide that's in 395 uh the church in the east was under the jurisdiction of the emperor but the pope in rome really is too far away to be brought under his control and so the absence of of that kind of control from the pope uh, as spiritual leader and as physical leader, um, the emperor um, emperor becomes almost popish in the east. So let's let's say it another way: in the east, the emperor was like a pope; in the west, the pope is like an emperor. And so this gives the church entirely different outlooks on how things should work, how life looks, the the way what the things they're focusing on, uh, their 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 mindsets are totally different. 
I listed three things. The first thing I listed was intellectual outlook. That's a big one. Um, sorry. Um, in the West, you know, Latin is the main language in the West. It's not in the East. That right there, whenever there's a language divide, you're going to see a different way of thinking because language affects the way we think. The English language, per se, because certain words are defined a certain way, it changes the way we think, per se, someone who's Italian. Because their language, the mannerisms, the way they speak is different. Even though we can translate it, but the meaning, the heart behind it is different. And so there's, there's one is Latin. And so the Latin West is more inclined to consider practical matters. Um, polity, they have little, uh, they, they, they have little trouble formulating the orthodox dogma. Um, the Greek mind of the East, however, um, was more interested in solving theological problems along philosophical matters. So you have Latin in the West, practical. How many of you guys are practical people? Yep, left brain, right brain kind of people. So you have a whole bunch of them. More practical, problem solvings. In the East, you have more theological, philosophical have more out there thoughts. You have those conversations about the universe and how it's going to be. And Latin is more about how are we going to rule this? How is this going to work? How are we going to... We have all kinds of those arguments here in this church. I see it all the time. Some of you are, are what's the... And we need both of you. So we have these, these arguments. What about the practicalities of this and the practicality of this? And how is this going to work? And what's this going to happen? And that's... And we need you guys. And then we have some of you guys that are very much about, well, what's the theological outcome of this? What's the, uh, what's the mission behind it? Why do we want it? And we need you too. And when we tie the two together, we get something that wonderful happens. But sometimes we argue amongst each other, right? Because we're looking at the world different. And, uh, and so you see, the, as the intellectual in the East and the West, we're seeing this difference happen where you've got these very practical people versus very philosophical people. They're talking about different things. They're interested in different things. And so you're going to see these problems start to arise between the churches as they're focused on different things. You know, as early as 325 and 451, you're seeing... Theological controversies arise. Um, and, 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 and so you start seeing these things. Um, celibacy. There's, there's, I brought, bring that up again. Uh, as celibacy in the West was a way to, that became to um, support the, you know, put your focus on God and to... To get and it became a place of political power. Um, in the East, marriage of all 
clergy was allowed below the rank of bishop. A bishop can't marry, but everyone below it can. And, um, and so you have this, well, you're not, the West, you're not supposed to marry. Put your focus on at least, well, I'm not a bishop, I'm allowed. And so this, 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 these disputes arise um, over, 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 over like theological things like can I marry? Uh, little things too that we wouldn't normally think of like should we wear a beard? Should men wear a beard? That's uh, one of those things that uh, arise uh, in the West. Uh, a priest in the West shaves his face but clergy in the East have to wear a beard. Um, uh, you know, of course, we already said Latin versus Greek, um, which leads to some understandings of cultural differences. Uh, you know, there's, so we see these issues starting to rise. Um, these theological matters start to, to pop up in, um, in, uh, let's see, in 867, the Patriarch of the East charged Nicholas I, Pope at the time, and the West with heresy because the West um, added um, that, that, that part of the Holy Spirit to the Nicene Creed. We already talked about that. I'm not going to go back and talk about the Nicene Creed. Remember we talked about the Holy Spirit, how it was added on later? That part got added on. Nicene Creed. Well, the East rejected that the West accepted it. And so uh, there's, so so, um, so you have like uh, the Patriarch of the East condemning Nicholas I because of his stuff, his heresy. Um, when to celebrate Easter? We already talked about that a little bit, but that becomes a big issue in the church as the church divides. Um, you know, do we do it on the Friday or do we do it on a certain date or, you know, the, you know, there's different things, uh, uh, that we, uh, we, you know, Western church, we do, when do we do it? When well, on a Sunday, right? Mm, but it's always that Sunday before Passover, uh, um, or around Passover, after Passover. Okay. Well, the East, it was a specific date. And, you know, and, and, you know, and these things, like, I don't know if they, you know, like, to me, it's like, well, just pick a date. It's, <laughs> uh, he already rose. What day do we celebrate it on? You know, to me, it's like, okay, we celebrate it. But it, it becomes a major theological issue. Um, In 726, Leo III, as emperor of the East, forbade any kneeling before pictures of, and, or images. And in 730, he ordered all except the crosses removed from the church and destroyed, uh, uh, destroyed to limit the power of the monks and, 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 and to refute the Muslim charge of idolatry because the Muslims were calling them, calling them idolatries. He said, no, we don't, and then let's get rid of everything. Um, in the West, the church continued to use pictures in their worship. But in the East, they got rid of all of them. 
And so they began to look at the West as false worshipers because they're worshiping all these images. And they've not. Oh, well, sure. We have lots of photos that we use um, in churches. Think about a, a, a church at this time period. You might have a statue of Mary or a statue of, uh, of, uh, of St. Paul. Or, or, or it could be something like, uh, not really at this time period, um, but it will carry on to the idea of what will become stained glass images. That will become more in the Renaissance period, which is a little bit later. Um, but you know, uh, but you have the Renaissance period, and you have the imagery that the icons that come up on there as they they paint the pictures on the walls. And the Sixteenth Chapel is a wonderful example of uh, of uh, Michelangelo's work across all the ceilings, and um, uh, and you know, and 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 all that you know, all against the wall, and and all of that would have been seen as against the Eastern Church. They would have said none of all of that is false worship. Um, and we even see that kind of argument happening today. Um, you know, the, the cross is usually seen as okay. Though some churches have even taken down the cross. They, that's, that's even, you know, we worship Jesus who says, well, there's no image, of, you know, not creating images, and we're using the cross. So there are some churches that even take down the cross. Um, uh, but the cross is usually seen okay. But then we start arguing about things like, well, what about this one here? We have Da Vinci up on the wall here. Uh, is that a false image of Jesus? Because we know that ain't what it looked like. That's a Renaissance pa painter. It's got all kinds of uh, Greek, Greco-Roman architecture in there and the symmetry, which was Da Vinci. And I mean, we know that's not what it really looked like. Of course, they're using chairs and uh, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, that would not have been something they would have done in Jesus' time. You know, they, they would not have looked like that. Um, so we, we have the argument, is that okay to hang? Uh, some churches say, no, we're not. You know, that's absolutely wrong. We're getting rid of that. Uh, some churches, we leave it up because a dear member of the church made it for us. And, and it's a, a reminder of, uh, of, of, you know, but other images that have come into the church, I've said, no, we're not hanging it. because. <laughs> um, so, so there is that kind of stuff. And so we see that in the East. They say, no more pictures. Um, because revelance, pictures of Christ were, um, were not to be used because they belong to God alone. Um, which in the Bible itself, there's that, you know, the, the temple itself was to have no imagery in it because he already created imagery, which was us. Which would have really made it stood out in the time of period where they were, had all the, the gods and they all had the gods had statues. In Egypt, a god, they would move the statue from one temple to another temple so the gods could visit each other. Um, I kid you not, there's ceremonies where you move them to one, one temple or another so the gods can visit. Um, these are uh, actual ceremonies in Egypt uh, mythology, uh, Egyptian mythology. Uh, I wish I could remember the name of that uh, book on, on ceremony, Egyptian ceremonies um, that I, I read, I guess it was probably last year. 
Uh, it escapes me. Anyways. Um, there's a wonderful podcast out there, a history of Egypt podcast out there. He does a great job with that. He's getting his, his PhD in e- Egyptian mythology, uh, Egyptian uh, culture and Egyptologist. And uh, he does a good job with it. Um, but yeah, so we have these icons, this, this theological issues of icons starting to rise. The people, uh, and so people in the East resented um, Pope Nicholas for uh, meddling and interfering with their practice, with their religious practices, and trying to to put their his way of thinking on them. Um, so, anyways, all these things build up, all these differences, and they began to practice worship in, in very, very different ways. And so that does lead to the schism of 10, um, 1054. Now what you're seeing up here is a map of um, a family tree of Christian denominations. Um, and uh, I don't have my clicker. Aiden, can you bring me my clicker? Yeah, we'll get to that one. I just need it for a second. Thank you. All right, there is. I got my pointer. Um, so, seventy is about the t- is the time the Jewish uh, Rome fell, and so that's for the Jewish believers, those who are Jews who believe in Christ, oldest group of believers out there, Jews accepted Jesus. Uh, so that split happens. Uh, there are some Assyrian Orthodox, Oriental Orthodox. These churches split a little bit earlier over issues, and they will largely fall off uh, or combine with the Eastern Church. But the, the Eastern Orthodox Church um, split happens with the Roman Catholic Church in 1054, and that's the major uh, theological split that happens um, it really, the final draw was the Patriarch of Constantinople, um, a Michael uh, Sir, I, I can't ever pronounce his name, uh, Solarius, there you go, Solarius, uh, something like that, um, condemned the Western church, uh, the church in the West for its use of unleavened bread uh, 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 in the Eucharist. And um, and Pope Leo the Ninth um, sent some emissaries to discuss the matter, and on July sixteenth in ten fifty four, the Roman uh, legislate finally put out a decree excommunicating the patriarch and his followers on the high altar of the uh, Cathedral Church of Saint Sophia. And the patriarch was not, uh, of course, that patriarch was not to be outdone. Therefore, he, um, he anathema, he, he condemned Rome and its followers. And this broke the church into two major groups, um, very major groups that we still separate very differently. Um, the actual, the, 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 um, 
the mutual excommunication was not removed um, until December 7th of 1965 by Paul <laughs> the sixth and Athagoras. So 1965, this they're, 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 we got this until from uh, 1054 to 1965. Both of you, both sides are excommunicated uh, from each other. So uh, we have this big difference uh, of, of uh, in, in in what's going on. So so and, and that that right there, a lot of people mark that as the time, the point which makes possible all the different denominations to arise because they're no longer one major church. Now, I don't, I'm not going to go there. I think that would have happened either way because the church has become so corrupt at that time. Though most of it is not actual policy, it became corrupt in practice that those kind of splits are going to happen one way or other. But we'll see the next major split is going to happen in 1517 with the nailing of the 95 Thesis on the wall of the door, uh, with, uh, which is uh, Martin Luther. Um, but 1060, uh, that's 500 years from that point. So, but 1054, major moment where uh, the East and the West split and, um, and these two churches uh, um, separate and they shut and so the it's but it does shut the church off the eastern church from many of the vitalizing influences and strengthening of the west you know the, the things that make them stronger and 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 but it it also so you'll actually going to see a lot of no what's not word um stagnation from the eastern church they're not going to grow a lot they're going to stay pretty much the stay the same um and so you're going to see a lot of like remaining the same you're not going to see a lot out of them so we're going to kind of leave the eastern church alone because it's not going to really change much it's not going to have a lot of influence on us today um we might come back to them at a few points but for the most part since we're focusing on us, we're going to be uh, selfish. We're going to focus on us. Um, we're going to focus. We're going to we're going to leave Eastern Church and, and kind of come over here to the the branches, the Roman Catholic Church. Um, we're going to keep following with the Roman Catholic because uh, it does um, it doesn't affect us as much as as they do split and separate themselves from it. Uh, now the East does do missionary work at this time. They will. Um, they will send out missionaries um, like Bulgaria becomes under uh, it becomes Christian through the work of the Eastern Church. Um, even like Russia will become uh, uh, which the Eastern Church will be will have a strong presence in Russia um, as well um, as as they do stuff. Um, some major things uh, in, in this time period. Um, well, I did want to show you this. This is a map of kind of the split of the East and the West. This over here is the West. Western Church is over here. This area down here is all Muslim now. And uh, Eastern Church is right here. 
And this over here is what they call pagan lands. Those are all lands that were, you know, the, 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 the barbarian tribes with their, their, their natural religion, the religions often animalism, but also other things as well. Um, so um, up here, what they call pagan lands, Muslim lands. And the Muslims will be all the way down here, up into here at this time period. And Eastern Church, Western Church. Um, the, the, the rise of Islam in the 7th century and the loss uh, of people and land to the Muslims will really hurt the, the Christian church and lead to a lot of the corruption because they're, they're, you know, the good, <laughs> good Christian people are dying and powerful corrupt people are, are taking control. Um, but since you, this land right here is largely surrounded by the Muslim land, Little change in ritual, policy, theology appears in the church until really the present time, um, and so we're gonna so that is so uh, we're gonna focus on the West. Um, did want to show you this. This is one of those major uh, things that happens in Constantinople. This was built in 535. This is Haggai Sophia, uh, built in Constantinople. Uh, it was originally a Christian church. Uh, it has, then it became a mosque um, as the Islams took over it in Constantinople, which is that one right there. And the Muslims will conquer that land at one point. Uh, it's now a, um, I think still, a, a museum of Byzantine art. Um, so the Turks who captured the city renamed it Istanbul. And so, um, so that's, uh, that's the inside of the Haggai Sophia. So. All right. Well, I've got three minutes according to my clock. So is there anything else we want to talk about? Yeah, there's 300 and something popes. I'd have to sit down and count them all out. I've, I've, I've got a book that has all of them in it. Um, there's a lot of popes. Um, and like I said, some of them are wonderful, God-fearing people, and some of them are absolutely not God-fearing. Um, Oh, absolutely. They take years, uh, uh, 700 years, 500 years. Uh, you know, it's 500 more years from this point to the time of the Reformation. These things take generations. And which, well, the church is notoriously slow on change. But, uh, uh, but, it, it does, but it, that makes sense to us because we, we, you know, a whole generation has to pass off before we start seeing it a different way. I mean, think about how you guys felt when the older generation was there and like you said, well, we see the world completely different and that world generation had to pass away and now there are people waiting for you guys to <laughs> because they see the world differently. 
yes, the Crusades are going to change that map several times because there's three different, three, yeah, arguably four different Crusades. So that's, that map was 1054. Uh, the, the Crusades are going to, you know, they're going to, Muslims are going to conquer land, Christians are going to conquer land, and then back and forth, back and forth. And so it's going to be a, a, a turbulent time with the maps. So, and I will bring out several of those when that happens, when we talk about the Crusades. Maybe a video or two, who knows? If I can find some good ones. Anything else? All right, well, it is time. So let's go ahead and pray, and we will be done. Father God, we praise you today, Lord. We thank you for this wonderful blessing and just gathering to us together, Lord. We pray that we just focus on you, Lord, and we just uh, we appreciate the history you have given us, Lord. We pray that we can um, accept the bad and praise the good as we seek to just worship you, Lord. We pray that we may see in us the good and the bad, that we may follow after you and be honest with ourselves of places we can do better and places we can hold true and be true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.